Welcome to the Tote the Note podcast hosted by Jim Rhodes, founder and head coach at the Octane Group. Join us while we dive into the questions that matter most to buy here, pay here operators in the world of subprime auto finance. This episode is brought to you by our friends at NEO. And now, here's your host, Jim Rhodes. <laughs> Hello, friends. Welcome again to the Tote the Note podcast series. We're uh, for those who've been following us, you recognize Brent Carmichael. Brent is a senior moderator with NCM. I know he's been uh, 15 years with them and moderating, and uh, not just by here payer, but some other uh, groups for them. And f- the, for those not familiar with NCM, NCM is to me one of the most prestigious uh, coaching and consulting firms in the country. They've been doing 20 groups since the 40s. And uh, so we've, we've known that company a long time. We've known Brent a long time, and we're just thrilled to have Brent join us as a consultant and coach who sees a lot of uh, buy here, pay here uh, businesses. And so we're thrilled to have him add his two cents to our Tote the Note series on the hardest questions in buy here, pay here. Welcome, Brent. Thank you, Jim. Pleasure to be here as always. Yeah, thank you. We're, uh, we're going to take on today the subject of service departments. How, if I'm a buy here, pay here dealer, and I'm new to the space and I'm starting to get these cars breaking down and I've got, you know, customers that are unhappy and we need, we're having to wait on shops. How do I go about them making the judgment, uh, whether or not a service department is right for me? So, you know, there's obviously a lot to unpack here, a lot of things to think about in making that decision. And I would say it's not just the mathematics, but maybe First, take us inside, like in your experience across 20 groups and working with dealers all over the country, what percentage of the buy here, payer people that you work with, would you say have a service department? Uh, 75 to 80% maintain their own shop and in some level, in some form or fashion. Okay. So I think um, within that, I'm going to guess some of them are wishing they were out of the service department businesses. Have you seen them? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's a headache. <laughs> the last service manager's 20 group meeting I had, I think pretty much all of them are really second guessing their thought process of running a shop right now as hard as it is. And, and it does seem like it's a lot harder, maybe more complicated now to run your own shop, I think, than it's ever been. Is that because of personnel or access to parts or both? What are, what's, what are the pressure points? A little bit of everything. Yeah. I mean, it started obviously the technician. I don't want to say there's a shortage because there's a lot of technicians out there. It's just getting them to come to work for you. Uh, and there's been a challenge with that because there's always the shop down the street that'll pay a dollar, $2, $5 more an hour. And it's kind of become a race to the top, I guess, when it comes to, to finding technicians and hiring technicians. And then obviously with everything that's happened since the pandemic with uh, supply chain issues, parts availability, you know, cars are getting a little more difficult to work on because of, you know, just the way that they're literally wired anymore. I mean, they're basically more computer than, than car, it seems like. So, you know, they're getting just a little bit more difficult to work on, hard to find the people to work on them and hard to find the parts for the people to get to work on the cars. So yeah. kind of a three-headed monster. I'm glad you mentioned that part about the cars because it is changing world that the way that we work on is, is more computerized, you know, so the technician has got to have a new set of skills, which means there aren't as many people as versed on repairing today's used car, you know, late model used car. So yeah, that's just, 
yet one more factor. Um, I, we did some polls in the last year on Facebook. So let me take you inside some of those. Cause it's going back to September of 2021. We put a poll out there and we asked for those who are buy here, pay here only, what has been your experience and what is your attitude about adding a service department? And we got 46 responses, um, you know, not a, not a big number, but enough to, to kind of start a conversation here, which is 32 out of the 46 said we have a service department. It pays for itself, but it's a beast to manage it. And that was actually the phrasing that I put in the question. Cause I, I was really trying to figure out if people felt the way that I hear most people talk. And so sure enough, 32 out of the 46 said, yes, it's a beast. Um, and we have one and it covers itself. So that's part financially. We want to kind of talk through some of the math on that. But then, um, the next group was eight out of 46 said that we have one and it's the best decision we ever made. So I think that's uh, again, small number, but it's like, it's, um, that was the next highest vote. So it's like, um, that's the part that's kind of tricky for me to figure out. How do you make that judgment about whether or not it makes sense? Let's, let's talk through the scenarios. Like if I'm a, if I'm an early stage buy here, pay your dealer, and I'm starting to have like, I got two problems. I got, I got bottlenecks on the cars that I'm trying to recondition and get to the lot, right? I'm having to wait on these third-party mechanics who are having all the personnel problems that you just described. I'm, I can't seem to get my cars out of the third-party garages fast enough for me to keep up with my sales. I think I could sell more cars if I could get them through the pipeline, right? So there's that problem that piles up. And then there's also the problem of unhappy customers because, They've got to either, either you got to, they finance the customer customers now got a mechanical problem and either it's super expensive at some third party shop or the third party shop can't get it turned around. And so now if I'm a dealer, I'm thinking I really pro probably should have my own shop so I can make this customer happy. So maybe just take me through those. Let's start with the one with, you know, you got trying to get your cars through the pipeline and what, what do you see there? Well, it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that one specifically a group I just met with, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the members in there subs out all of their cars. And we were talking about what's the time from not necessarily purchase, but the time you get the car till it's lot ready. And we go around and the guys with the shop are, you know, somewhere shortest five days, longest 14 days. And then there's a couple of dealers in that group that are sub what we call sub dealers. Everything gets subbed out and their low day was 14 day mm -hmm. and closer to 21. And again, they're the ones that are kind of giving me the, well, if I had more cars, lot ready, I could sell more cars, but now it's taken 14 to 21 days to get one done. So, you know, then a simple question, then why not start your own shop at this point? Because we would have to assume with your own shop, it's not going to take 14 to 21 days to get a car through the shop. So you would have more lot ready at that point. And the response I got was, well, it may cost me a half a million dollars or $600,000, whatever. He just kind of threw out a number to start my own shop, right? To find the, cause I don't have anywhere in my current location. I'd have to find a place. We'd have to do lifts. And I said, yeah, but how many more cars do you think you could sell a month? And so we went to the math and he says, I'll at least 10 or 15. Well, with an average gross of $5,000, you, you do the math, right? Mm, sure. I mean, we're giving up 70 or 80 K a month. So annualized, that's a million dollars in gross. Understanding we haven't collected it yet, but still a million dollars in gross that we've given up for a $500,000 expense. So you know, the math didn't even make sense at that point. But I'm telling you now, Jim, the challenge, even if you wanted to start your own shop, is something that we've already talked about. Part of the three things that are a problem. Where are you going to get your technicians? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're going to be able to find probably the space or add it to your current location. Um, you may already have one. Bring in some lifts. That's the easy part. 
but staffing that right away at what would be considered you know reasonable from a technician pay standpoint and then again there's no guarantee we should be better than 14 days don't get me wrong but there's still no guarantee you're going to be five days uh with parts availability right mm -hmm. so you know to me if it's costing you if you really truly feel that it's costing you x number of sales because you're having to wait then you don't wait then you get your own shop you find somewhere that you can you know get two or three technicians at least fend off some of what's getting subbed out to make that purchase to lot time you know a little bit quicker you know in the good old days it was three days to seven days for most of our shops something that we do track in our service managers 20 group uh, now it's gotten to be that five to seven to 10 day because of part availability or um, maybe buying an edgier car and needing a little bit more work done to it as far as hours and everything. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're waiting 14 to 21 days for your outside subs, you know, now we've got to carry a 60 or 75 day supply of cars, right? Sure. So now we're putting capital out there for these cars that I've got to wait 21 days for it to even hit the, the sales lot. So you know, to me, that's the time that you really take a look at it. If you think you can find the technicians right away, then yes, you get a shot, in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. So that, that makes sense. And then that still doesn't solve the problem that, and, and this is an aside, I just want to make sure and say this for our listeners. As somebody who's been around business from, I mean, I was a partner in a pawn shop when I was 24 years old, right? So, I mean, my, my retail career goes back to before my car days. And all these years of being around the business, I still are being around business in general. My least favorite part of business is still the people part. It's all the, it's all the, the, uh, the things that are unpredictable about human beings, you know? And so all the other stuff you can kind of manage better, but it's like the human being element is, is my least favorite part. So, you know, when we had a service department, obviously we got, we got uh, human beings working back there and I'm, it's been my experience. I don't know if you see this, but I, my, a lot of mechanics are kind of cantankerous and hard to deal with. And so, yeah, no, it's true. That can, that can happen. And so I, I can say this stuff. You don't, you don't say this. I'll keep you out of trouble, but um, the, uh, that's why a lot of service departments have service advisors, right? Because mechanics are just kind of, uh, can get, be kind of tough to deal with. They can be kind of volatile and, and they can, you know, get upset one day and be gone and pack up their tools and, you know, move on. And so there, that's my least favorite part. It's also would be this, my least favorite part of having a restaurant is why, what am I, you know, chef doesn't show up today. Like, you know, what's that look like? And so, so these are all parts to think about, but now if we just keep it inside the service. So you basically said, if you could hire the techs that you would, that would tilt the scale for you that you feel like you probably would want to have a service department. Yeah. Cause I, I think that right now really is that the, the tougher issue. And, and again, you know, you can't have four a techs or three a techs, right? I mean, we, we know that there's going to be certain levels, but I think if you can get, you know, a decent C or B tech and you know, you can find those guys and you know that you can get them to come to work for you. Mm -hmm. Then I think then it would be in your best interest to do a shop. And again, Jim, I'm on the record saying that a shop is a daycare center. <laughs> um, I, and I completely, I mean, and I, okay. I mean, we had a shop, right? I mean, 16 bays. Uh, mm -hmm. And again, it, it was literally something every single day. And it was probably my least favorite part mm -hmm. of the business mm -hmm. was dealing with the shop. Yeah. But again, if I had the opportunity, I would go back and I would still maintain my own shop because I just don't like the, the unpredictability of subs because yeah. You know, we used, we subbed out all of our customer pay work and all of our warranty work just because of the volume that we did. We'd have to have a 60 bay shop to be able to take on all of that. And even that was tough. You know, it was two or three in, in all of our market areas. And, you know, we kind of almost had to guarantee them a certain level 
mm-hmm. of volume of sales, basically of revenue, or we got put two, three, four, five down the list. And then it might be two or three weeks before they could get my customer in. So, you know, I've seen both sides of it. I've worked both sides of it. Um, my preference perfect world would be, I would have a shop that would be able to take care of everything. All of my customer pay stuff and do all of my warranty stuff, handle all of my heavy work, be able to do motors, trannies. And I hate to say this, but possibly even have a, a kind of a small body shop to a certain extent, yeah. you know, not do any kind of retail stuff, not even off the street work, but a paint booth, um, a couple of guys that were, you know, decent body guys, just because I think anymore, with the way things have gone and the volatility of the marketplace, you're almost better if you can encompass all of that. Yep. You know, but there's a volume level, right? If I'm selling 10, 15 cars a month, no, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. You know, I'm selling the 50, 60, 80, 100 cars a month, then it probably makes more sense to have a more uh, well-rounded shop. But again, yeah. if I'm you know, just getting into the business, thinking it's going to be 10 or 15 or 20 cars, I always try to steer dealers toward, hey, if you can do your own shop, I would because of the control factor, first of all. Secondly, even from an expense standpoint, you're going to spend less recon in your own cars than you are when you sublet them. And I am kind of a control freak. I I want to be in charge of that. I see too many of our dealers that do sub and I do an RO review with them. And these guys are putting tires on everything. They're putting Mm -hmm. brakes on everything. And you start wondering, do I really need that? And that sounds minimal. Gosh, you know what tires are running these days? I mean, the sure. cheapest ones are a hundred bucks, right? So if I could just do two instead of four, that's two hundred dollars. So, you know, I am a control freak. I want to be in control of my shop if at all possible. The eight that said it was the best decision they ever made, I promise you, are eight guys that don't have to work in the shop at all, period, because they yeah. would probably never say that. Yeah, yeah. It can uh, be frustrating. And some of we we had a dealer who's large portfolio, you know, almost two thousand accounts and uh they recently wound down their service department and, and he described it when we first met him, he described it as the bane of his existence. Like it was the worst, you know, thing he could. So he wound it down. Uh, the, and this is a group that has a lifetime warranty on almost 2000 contracts. So, you know, imagine, um, so that means you're outsourcing everything. So I guess what that does is takes me back to the place. Cause we've seen this, we've been in these dealerships where they've got, you know, a, a you know, a number of lifts and a number of techs. And I think, the, so I would ask maybe I'm a, I'm a new dealer. Help me understand what's the smart move. If I have four techs as I'm, I'm pretty new at this and I got four techs and four lifts, do I, do I put those on reconning my frontline cars or do I put them on customer work or some split? How do I make that call? Well, perfect world. You'd be able to handle both. Right. right. But if you had to choose, I would say recon and sub out the customer work. Okay because again, I need those cars ready at what I need them for and quickly. And I have a better chance of doing that if I'm recon. And it's a struggle all the shop managers that we work with is, is how how do you divide up? And we've had guys that have tried to do the, okay, this one tech is just customer pay and warranty or whatever. I have two techs that are going to do that and two that are going to do recon. And that's great. But then when you don't have any customer work, then they come over and do recon or vice versa. I'm getting overloaded with customer work, whether it be customer pay side note or warranty. And now I've got to pull recon guys off to do that because we know the old rule. If a car doesn't run, the customer doesn't pay. Right. So, you know, we can't work on a car for three weeks and expect them to continue to make their payments. So that is that, that catch 22 with that. 
you know, when we're working with dealers getting into the business and they say, you know, how many technicians am I going to need if I'm going to run my own shop? Now, I think a good rule of thumb is, is if you've got a pretty efficient shop and, and the way we look at our shops are by the number of cars that are completed. Mm-hmm. We don't necessarily look at the profit and loss. You know, I know we're going to talk about numbers a little bit later. We don't necessarily look at that because that's easily controllable, right? I can just have a really high labor rate. My shop will make a lot of money um, and have a high parts markup and my shop will make a lot of money. But we look at efficiency and we look at the number of cars that go through a shop each month. Oh my God. Sorry about that. Well, no, you're fine. No, I mean, that thing should have been turned off. Um, and we start out with basically one car per day per tech, and that's total cars for a shop. Okay. So that's going to be customer pay. That's going to be warranty. And that's going to be internal. That's going to be what we call internal, which is recon. Run, run me so through the number again. Start, let me back up and go through that number. You just one car per day per technician through the shop. Okay. And this, we kind of backed into this from the number of hours per completed vehicle is kind of how we look at it. Okay. And our internal, which is our recon, runs right around seven and a half to 8.25 hours per completed car. It's what it's up to now, mm. right? So if my shop's 100% efficient, that would be one car oh. per day per tech, best case scenario, oh. right? If I'm 100% efficient. And we know that our warranty and service contract through our, through our Service 20 group runs around four to five hours per completed vehicle because mm. a lot of stuff gets run through, I think gets run through service and warranty. That's probably not, but... And then customer pay runs about two or three hours. So if you kind of add all three of those together, divide it by three, it comes out to about six hours per completed vehicle across the board. So I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt that your shop's only going to be 80% efficient across the board for everything. And so that's a car a day per tech. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a car per day, 22 working days would be, I can get 22 cars through my shop as a mature business. Yeah. And for most of our dealers in our service group, they run about 50% is internal. And then the other 50% is split between service contract and warranty at that point. So I would say if I'm going to only want to see cars a month, obviously, initially, I'm only going to need one tech, but there's two places I've always said I'm going to be overstaffed in the buy here, pay here business. One of them is technicians in my shop. The other one is collectors, because in my opinion, those are the two departments that if I'm ever shorthanded, are going to cost me the most money as a business. Okay. I'm shorthanded in techs, can't get cars through the shop, can't get them fixed, can't sell them. I'm short collectors, obviously can't collect money. So, you know, they tell me they're going to sell 15 to 20 cars. I tell them that I would have at least two technicians day one. Mm -hmm. Not going to necessarily really need them, but within two or three or four months, you will at that point. And then just look at the number of vehicles you're selling moving forward. If that's going to stay stagnant, then I know I need at least one technician to just do that. And then understanding that at some point, it's probably going to be about 50% that's going to go to my customer pay and warranty. So if I'm selling 15, then that's seven or eight. So mm-hmm. that's at least two technicians if I'm not going to grow. that That's kind of the math that I've used with some dealers recently on getting into the business and wanting to do their own shop. Gotcha. Uh, and then obviously, exponentially, that's going to go up as they grow. It, it's one of those things where people have, it, it affects their business in a really important way. And it's a source of stress for a lot of dealers. And so I think we, you know, we want to take the time to take it on because, you know, I hear you going through those numbers and, you know, it wasn't that many years, like 2015, I was running a a small shop with, you know, uh, I think we had three lifts and two technicians and, and we, we wouldn't take on a car that was going to take that seven and a half, eight hours that you're talking about. Like we just would pass on that. That was 
that was BC before COVID, right? We could, we, that's a different world. But I just remember thinking when you tell me that your tech is going to have an average of seven plus hours on a particular car, I'm thinking, what are they, what kind of work are they taking on? We're, we're definitely doing more work nature of it. We have to buy cars that are in rougher shape now in order to stay on our business model. So that's part of the thing, but I'm surprised we can find techs. If we're taking on work, that's that heavy. I'm surprised we can find techs that can handle that heavier work. You know, uh, it's not, it's not a simple replacing an alternator and, you know, oil changes and that stuff that we should be able to turn around in a few hours. What I'm hearing you say, we're averaging more than that. So they're taking on some pretty significant work. Well, it's not significant and they're not doing a lot of motors and transmissions and, okay. and anymore. Those are, I mean, there's some of them that are 18, 22, 24 hour jobs to do okay. a motor, right? So now you're talking three days in a bay. Yeah. What these are, are it's an alternator and a starter and this and that. So now we've got two hours here, two hours here, two hours here. Okay. And again, I think part of this, to your point, which was a great point, is that, you know, dealers are trying to to kind of cap that cost of car, right? Mm -hmm. You know, they just don't want to pay eight or $9,000 for a car. They want to pay that five or six. Well, to do that, you know, now I'm a 140, 150, 160,000 mile car. And then just some of the basic stuff that needs to be done. You know, we, like I said, we try to do an RO review. We do it once a year in our service group, no matter what, but then in our other groups every year, every other year, take a look at it. And, you know, they're, they're starting to do well. They were until the last year or two. You know, body work was done kind of on a regular basis, so we were sending it out to get it painted. Well, now that takes a week to get done, so I can't really do that kind of stuff anymore. So I'm kind of buying an edgier car, and this is just to make it road worthy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the dealers that we have in states like New York, Maryland, where you're talking about uh, safety and emissions <clears throat> that they have to pass, um, can be rust in some places. You know, we've seen those average reconditioning costs go from $1,200 to $1,600 to $1,800. Um, and then obviously just the cost of parts has kind of raised that as well. But it's, you know, like I said, when I give you that seven hours per completed vehicle, that's what's billed to it at that point. It's not how much time they're working on it, because I can assure you, I've very rarely seen truly a buy here, pay here shop that was 100% efficient start to finish okay. uh, with all their technicians, just because we're, you know, bolts break stuff done you know there's things that happen that keep us from getting uh these jobs done and since we've started that service group that used to be about five hours per completed vehicle and now it's kind of gone up to that seven almost eight mm -hmm. and like i said it, it's really not big stuff jim it's diddly stuff okay. it's just there's more layers of it now than there used to be well and computerization i mean if you replace the alternator, some of that stuff, I'm sure that ties back to computer and some of that stuff's got to be, you know, redone. And so the, and the sensor, right. Yeah. Exactly. Chasing after electrical stuff. And so I, I can see how those could pile up. I want to go back to the thing you talked about when we talked about that you would choose to handle, you would um, direct your text to recon and not customer work because I, it's been my experience. I would do the same and I would, I would do that based on a couple different things. Um, I, one, we got to keep our sales going. We got to keep our, we got to keep in business in the front. You know, we got to keep sales working to keep, you know, feeding the thing and, and growing the business and supporting the whole operation. Because if we, if we bring that to a stop, then the whole thing kind of, you know, we pay a price for that down the line. So we, we really need to prime the pump and keep the, the sales department um, moving in my experience. And then the other piece of that is, 
I would, if given the choice with customer work, I would rather not bring the customer work in house. Um, because there's the other element to this and just, you, you can't really ignore the customer relations piece of this. It's like, if I have a customer that is due for repairs, then, the, you know, there's two things. I, I see a customer looking back in our shop and we tell them we can't do the repairs here. And even though I can hear impact wrenches running back in there, I know you got people that do work. Why can't you work on my car? You know, you can, but you won't. So there's that piece to factor in. And then there's, but there's also the idea that if a customer, if, I, if, I'm, if I'm running a warranty, which most of our dealers do, I have another poll here we can talk, talk about, but most of them are doing some sort of a warranty, maybe through a reinsurance solution. And now if I've got a warranty, in my way of thinking about this, Brent, and just and keep in mind, I'm simple-minded. Like I, I'm just kind of a problem solver. I like to keep things clean. And so I got my sales department, I got my finance department. Once the car is sold and it moves over to the finance department, I like to make that a finance matter. You know, it's like, it's like a, it's like a customer payment matter and it's account matter. So now it's just file a claim. There's a claims process, get the car to whomever can make the repairs most quickly. And I, I have an obligation to write a check under my warranty claim process. And, and we just handle it as a warranty claim, but it doesn't have to come back through my shop because I think that's where I bottleneck the shop is when my, my portfolio grows and my customer work grows. And suddenly my, my shop is bogged down with that work. And I would rather keep the sales department moving the inventory recon process moving and, and just have those warranty claims handled. But, but also if a customer takes the cut, takes a vehicle to another shop for warranty work and we've approved the warranty and it's taken a long time or the work's not done right. then that's really between the customer and that tech uh -huh. it doesn't have to involve us. We're just, we're just your, your bank over here. We're just writing a check to, to, to finance the repairs or to yep. cover the repairs on a warranty claim. So that's the other basis for like, there's the customer relations piece of this too. That's hard to measure when you're in that place as a new dealer, it's hard to know how that stuff is going to work out. But given the choice of having seen it from both sides, I think I would also choose to just have the service work, at least the customer work, go to a third party if, if I had to choose. Yeah, and, and it does. You're right. It does bog down the shop because, like I, like I said, the customer pay, true customer pay, side note, is about two or three hours per completed vehicle. But we know it's an additional two or more hours to not only diag it, because as we know, a majority of the time, the noise the customer says it's making, our tech tells us right away, well, I couldn't get it to do that. Yeah. yeah. I didn't do that. So I have to keep it and we have to keep doing it. And it does. And then it's it's one of those that, and I've heard this, you know, we fixed the, the fuel pump, which is in the gas tank. And two days later, the customer calls back and says, my radio doesn't work. You messed it up because you worked on it. And we're going, but those two are completely two different things. And I do like to pass the bug mentality, and maybe that's a bad cliche, but um, you know, moving that customer offsite for something else. Because again, you know, if I buy a new car somewhere, in a lot of cases, the, sometimes the dealer that I bought it from does the warranty, but a majority of the time they really don't, because it can go to any Ford dealer, any Chevy dealer, and they'll take it to the one that's closest to them. So it gives us that opportunity. Now, the negative I get with that, and I do completely agree with this, is you got to be careful when you find a shop to sub to that they don't try to upsell your customer mm -hmm. or give you the basic, you know, your car has 150,000 miles. So now it needs this laundry list of things, even though it really doesn't, but at 150,000 miles, all these things should have been done. And they give you that $7,000 bill. And now the customer comes back and says, well, now you sold me this piece of crap. Here it is back. And again, we lose control of that if we let somebody else do the work for us. So there's a lot of challenges to subletting the guys that I know that do it don't want any part of a shop 
and again, have been doing it for quite a few years. So they now have the relationships with these outside shops where their stuff is put, if not first, at least first or second mm-hmm. that they get them in. They, you know, they, they've uh, negotiated a flat hourly rate, no parts markup, cars get done. And they have this, you know, this unwritten rule that says you're not going to try to upsell them on anything else, because if so, then I take my business away. I would love to be one of those shops right now, Jim, because I have all the power in the world, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. it's hard to get stuff done. I tried to get just an oil change on my 2017 Ford Edge and I go online to the dealer and they're 21 days out before I can get an oil change. Mm. So if I needed any kind of major mechanical work, in fact, my youngest daughter just had, I just bought a, a, a newer Explorer and had a transmission issue. It took 75 days to fix that. Oh, wow. Because they couldn't get the part in mm-hmm. and the car wouldn't operate. And the deal was like, okay, you're just, you know, they ended up renting her a car, which was great, but it was 75 days at a new car dealer to fix a car that would not move forward and back. Wow. So yeah, now some of these outside shops do have all the power. So it's going to be even tougher now to negotiate with them than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think in the current environment, you're better off having your own shop yeah. because of the control. Okay. Um, it's going to cost you a little bit more because you're going to have to pay technicians a little bit more now, but still, I still think it's the best way to go. Yeah. And I, I follow the logic there. I think, um, you know, keeping that internal and maintaining that degree of control is going to be important. Plus, you know, the, this whole technician piece or the personnel side, I have to believe that you and I could help dealers find ways, you know, create ways to keep good people. Like, yes, the, mechanics can be cantankerous and what have you, but I I have to believe that we have the ability that dealers have the ability to create an environment that is attractive for technicians and can attract those, you know, some of the top techs in the area and have a chance to keep them. And we certainly work with our dealers on, you know, the collection side, other departments and trying to help them come up with ways to, to offer that employee something they're not finding elsewhere because go ahead. We did a, well, we have access to a technician satisfaction survey that was done 2020, I believe, or 2019. It was really looking at dealership versus independent shop is kind of how it was looking at it. And I mean, as you go down some of those things, some of it we do have direct control over is buy here, pay here, don't get me wrong. But a lot of it we don't because one of the main things that really technicians were looking for was their work environment itself. Mm. And, you know, we just can't afford to have these high dollar, really, really nice shops. I mean, we just, you know, that, that's just not what we can do, right? I mean, we just can't have million dollar facilities to draw these technicians in. Believe it or not, like everybody else, pay was not 85% of what kept them happy. It was more environment and it was more just like every other one. It's more communication uh, than anything else, um, but it wasn't necessarily more, dollars per hour. It wasn't even hours necessarily because I think it was 40 something percent said they would be more than willing to work on Saturdays. It wasn't, you know, this Monday through Friday mentality. It was more than happy to work on Saturdays as long as the financial part of it made sense for them to do that. So it was really very interesting to see what made them happy and what didn't, but that one of the largest ones was as far as technician satisfaction work facilities. Yeah. And where we just, a lot of us cannot compete yeah. when it comes to that. I've, I've known some guys that run some phenomenal shops and do a good job, but when you take a look at that, as opposed to even a, a Chevy store 
shop or a Ford shop, not even a Highline, not a BMW or Mercedes or anything like that, but just a, a domestic shop. I mean, those things are absolutely gorgeous mm -hmm. and we just can't compete with that. So it's going to be hard for us to, to really recruit top technicians for some of us because facilities will be an issue for them. It just yeah. will. Yeah, no, I see that. I just, I'm hopeful that with a lot of our uh, independent folks out there by here pair that they would find ways that, you know, whether the tech's going to be paid $40 an hour or whatever that number looks like, if they can get 40 across town or they can get 40 from me as a dealer, I would hope that I could come up with ways to make my situation more attractive, not just the dollars, like dollar for dollar, we're going to match. So it's, you know, compensation has got to be the same, but I, I would hope that I could come up with ways to make that whole situation uh, create a work environment, culture, whatever else, you know, can be done to, to give them a reason to stay. So let's go back to the math. And frankly, this is an area where I don't have much experience. Most of our clients, we don't see this part of their business. So I don't see the numbers, but you know, when it comes to the financial piece. I think I, I follow your logic. I think if I could have the techs to do both, I would do both um, recon for my service or my sales department and my own inventory. And I would also have enough techs to support the customer work. So there's obviously the customer satisfaction piece, but that aside, what, um, what's the math look like? Like what's the, uh, can you give us some information on how does it work for me financially to bring that work in house? Do you know what the advantage is? Like, can you give us some feel? Well, I, I do know that it is cheaper to fix your own cars because again, you do have control, right? I mean, and that's, it's kind of the, the easy part about the shop is, is if I want my shop to make money, I can charge myself $100 an hour and I can charge parts markup. Or if I want it to just cover, which a majority of our dealers do, they're not looking at it as a profit center. They just want it to get the work done and kind of pay for itself. So that's why we see the, the labor rates in the 60, maybe $70 an hour, probably no parts markups on the internal side of it. As far as recon, obviously there'll be a little bit of parts markup when it comes to customer pay and even warranty work uh, on that side. So, you know, the financial piece of it is, is, is easy. If you remember kind of what you said, right? I mean, buy here, pay here, sales collections and inventory side of it. And all of those actually together for a bottom line. So we're not looking at the variable side or the, the, the sales side making X dollars. And we're not looking at the finance side has to make X dollars. We look at everything at the end of the month that all comes together. And that's our bottom line. Mm -hmm. And like I said, a majority of our dealers are really not. In fact, we actually move profitability in our service 20 group composite to the very last two pages. And it's because, like I said, it's just it's too easy of a number to manipulate. Mm. It really is. Because like I said, I mean, if I want my shop to make money, I can be a new car store and charge myself one hundred and thirty five dollars internally. And on paper, my shop side will make money. The bad part about that is, is we've got to collect that $135 an hour, right? Because now our average cost in car cash in deal is going to go up. My shop's going to make a lot of money, but I'm have a lot of risk over here in the finance mm -hmm. company that if I don't collect, then I lose that money. So I show it on paper over here and then I lose it over here, just like in the sales environment, right? Sure. Gross profit is great, but if I don't collect it, it don't matter. Mm -hmm. So um, like I said, the financial side of it really is, in my opinion, the bottom thing that I ever worry about my shop, is it going to make money? Is it not going to make money? What does it necessarily cost me? I do want to make sure that I charge myself a fair market value for what if I had to pay somewhere outside. Okay. You know, if I know that my my shop is the effective labor rate is 
$55 an hour, then I need to charge at least $55 or $60 an hour to make sure I'm covering the cost to do business in my shop. Yeah, I follow that. And I think that the, those things would be true, whether this other Facebook poll we did uh, was on how do you handle repairs after sale? And we, we got 61 respondents, but 21, the, the largest count was 21 of 61. So they do as is with side notes, right? So you've seen some of that. They're just doing as is, and they'll loan the customer money when there's a problem. The next category was 20 of the 61 said they were doing a reinsured warranty, which we're not surprised. We see a fair amount of that, but really everything I just heard you talk about would be true regardless of which of those scenarios they, what they were in. They want to keep their costs down, you know, in either scenario, that's either a claim against their reinsurance fund or it's a loan they're having to make, which they may not recover, you know, in either scenario, they want to keep that number down, you know, on the claim side. So, so yeah, I think it, it, it makes sense to me. It just, I, I hope we've introduced enough here for dealers to be able to make a more informed decision. I think, you know, we've certainly introduced the challenges associated with doing it. I hope we've introduced the opportunities and benefits associated with it. At the end of the day, it's like in many of our dealers, we just, um, we, I, t- I told Michelle, I, f- I find myself, especially working with new dealers often, I find myself answering their questions with questions early on. They'll ask me a question, Jim, should I have a service department? Jim, what should I charge for markup or what, where should I set my interest rate? You know? And I'm like, well, you have to kind of tell me, you know, how you want your life to go. Like yeah. how, how complicated do we want our life to be? And you know, where do we want to be in this business in three years? And so those, that's what I mean by we have to kind of, they have to help me to answer their questions. And so this is one of those where, you know, we just have to understand there, there's some financial gain in doing that. We just have to be prepared to, to kind of slay that dragon, you know, that is a service department and be prepared to step in there and, and uh, keep an eye on that because it, it does take a lot of management. And I talked to a lot of dealers who say they just, they don't even like going back in their service department. Like they just try to stay out of there, you know? So it's a, it's just kind of, it's a little bit telling for me. Yeah. I was going to say by some of the efficiencies I've seen in shops, I understand why they don't want to go back there, but <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm telling you five years ago, seven years ago, I probably would have been maybe on the other side of the fence because you could get stuff subbed out and you could get it that quick. Sure. And it was an ultra competitive market in from a dealer standpoint, and then I could find 15 shops that could do my work and were willing to do my work. And I've got a dealer that's not in a major market of any kind, but it's 21 days minimum for him to get a transmission done. Yeah. There's only two or three transmission shops, period. And they're all that book. Yeah. And when I hear stuff like that, and again, I don't really want to, you know, we, that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Do we do heavy work in our shop or do we sub it out? Mm-hmm. But I think today it is actually better for you from just an overall business efficiency standpoint to have your own shop right? because of what's going on out there, because these shops know that they can close at five every day and somebody's going to be fine with that. And they know if I'm not wanting to wait two weeks to get my car from them, big deal. There's going to be somebody else come in and fill that spot in their shop. So, you know, the balance of power has kind of shifted over the last couple of years to where these subs now have more power than they've ever had. And we have less power when it comes to them than we've ever had. So, you know, like I said, I, I'm on record many times as saying a shop is a daycare center. I don't want to run one, but in today's environment, I probably would. Yeah. I, I, I just, because um, I can't wait 14 to 21 days to have a car run through the shop. I mean, I've got to have it on the front line, ready to sell, generating that note, generating that cash flow as soon as possible. Yeah. 
I got to tell you though, when you said, do I, do I sub a big work? Do I bring it in my shop on the heavy work or do I sub it out? I think you're forgetting a third option. That is punt. You can always punt the football. Just stop buying cars that need motors and transmissions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I used to always tell people that you never have perfect to fix world. It. Yeah, no, I know it's a, it really is a change. I used to always be able to say you never have to fix a car, but in this day and age, we're almost in a place where you kind of have to fix the cars that you own because it's too hard to come up with anything else that's any better. Oh, these know? cars, Jim. With a, I mean, if I've got a car that has an eighteen-hour motor job, I mean that's going to tie up at a hundred percent efficient. That's tying up a bay for two solid days mm-hmm. yeah. even if i'm 100 efficient that's two solid days that that bay that lift that technician could have gotten worst case scenario two cars ready and on the lot to sell four customer cars satisfied mm-hmm. and done four warranties however you want to take a look at that so that's where sometimes i, I take a look and go does the math really work right and that i'm okay subbing out a motor for internal because i can wait three weeks to put it on the lot yeah. Customer pay, obviously something different. They're not going to wait three weeks for a car. We saw a car, um, and I don't know what the motor and transmission was like, but we saw a Mustang at a dealership recently. Dealer pointed it out, pulled back the cover. And I don't know that there was a fender or a piece of, of a body part on that car that wasn't damaged, you know, interior included. And like, wow. He, and he was going to rebuild it. It's like, you're going to put that car back together. And he's, yeah, we're going to rebuild it. Wow. It just is an indication of, you know, they just, the inventory is just that tough. It is. And so it's a, it's a weird environment that way, but yeah, I think uh, for dealers that are out there who, you know, are prepared to, to slug it out and, and uh, you know, go do that. Obviously like always, you know, just makes for more hard work on the buying side. You know, mm-hmm. the harder we work on the buying side, the more easier, the easier these things that we're talking about become, but it's, it's not easy anywhere. And so we just, we know that we see that, uh, that challenge and frustration with a lot of people that we work with. And I think the information that you've shared here today is going to be helpful to many. And, uh, and they, at least, like I say, now they know what the challenges are and what the, what the frustrations can be, what they can expect in the way of frustrations and, uh, and where the opportunities lie in doing that. But, uh, why don't we let you, uh, get back to your, uh, your, your family. And I know you got a little uh, uncommon time off and uh, I would just tell folks, you know, you're going to be hearing this. Um, this is going out in November, 2022 will be released. Um, we, I'll just tell you, I don't foresee anything that tells me that this problem that we described in this podcast today is going to be much different in the next two years. I mean, it's going to take a while before it stabilizes. Right. I mean, there's just no indication. At least. Yeah. We're yeah. trying to prepare our dealers that nothing is going to change as far as parts availability, pricing, any of those things for, for sure, 2023. So, yeah. um, and I would say probably Q2 of 2024 at the earliest Yeah, yeah. Uh, before. And again, I'm not the, you know, the sky is falling kind of a guy. I'm just being, you know, optimistically pessimistic. All right. I want to hope for the best, but I need to prepare for the worst. And unfortunately, I think there's too many dealers out there that are just still in the wait and see mode mm-hmm. and they kind of need to, to, you know, make the decision. Hey, it's time to those that are subbing and having issues. It's time for me to find at least maybe three bays, four bays somewhere where I can fend off some of that and at least get some cars ready and still use the sub. But they've heard all the horror stories in the 20 group meetings about it's a daycare center and techs are hard to work with and they don't. I mean, and it's true, but it is a vital part of the business. Yeah. And I would just add my perspective to what you said. I think those dealers that are kind of wait and see mode, they're, they're looking at at least a year and a half of waiting. Yeah. 
because I think you're, you're sitting back and I just don't see anything and everything I can see about the supply chain. I just don't see anything really changing inside of a year and a half. And so, yeah, it looks like we're going to be dealing with these kind of things for a good time. So for a good stretch. And that just means we need to, uh, you know, be prepared to take measures, you know, do what's got to, got to be done in order to get these cars turned around and, and, uh, you know, keep, um, keep our sales department moving and portfolios growing and whatever else we can do. But, uh, why don't I let you jump? I need to make sure our viewers know how to find Brent. Uh, you got any room in your 20 groups anywhere, by the way? I sure do. I've got uh, small volume and large volume openings, both. So. Nice. Okay. So uh, you can find Brent at bcarmichael at ncmassociates.com. Did I get that right? Yes, sir. So you can always find him at NCM. You can find him. He's not on Facebook. You can find him on LinkedIn. So, uh, so just, uh, if, you, but if you need help finding Brent, just reach out. Yes. To I'm the only person not on Facebook. I yeah, guess. I, yeah. And I'm the last person without an iPhone, I think, Brent. So, so we, okay. we got that, we got that thing at our house so we got that our argument going on all the time but again thank you so much for joining us i know our viewers get a lot of information out of of uh you and i know we've got more hard subjects to take on so uh if folks are enjoying this series let us know and we're going to continue to bring you some of the answers to the uh, toughest questions in buy here pay here thanks brian thanks for joining us please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe to tote the note and thanks again to our sponsor neo Find them at neoverify.com. Until next time.